Scripture reading for our meditation tonight is found in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, recorded by inspiration given to St. Luke, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 25. And let us rise to hear these words in our Lord's name. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray now that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. This is quite the scene. This is such an interesting and beautiful story that we have of how the gospel comes to this man. And... I often wonder, what was it like when he was converted now in the jail at Philippi and takes these, these two men that had been chained up and were his prisoners and now is so excited to take them to his home? How fast did they run through the street to get to his house? What was it like when he came bursting through the door that night and started to call out for his wife and his children to come over? And he had learned something that was so important from these two men. And, and to, to kind of refresh the, the scene, to, to think of somebody who just moments earlier had, had felt so, dis, uh, so out of sorts with life that he wanted to end his own life, afraid that the prisoners had escaped he was supposed to watch. Quite often, the jailer would be executed if a prisoner was lost. And he probably thought, well, I'm just going to take care of that myself. But to, to think of going from the point of, of probably putting the tip of the blade of his sword up under his rib cage, just about ready to run himself through, and to then suddenly be stopped and to drop in front of them and to say, how in the world do I get to heaven? What must I do to be saved? The greatest question that any person can ever ask, right? Ultimately, how do, I, how do I make sure I get to heaven? And then to have the apostle talk to him in such a wonderful way doesn't give him a whole list of rules, doesn't tell him a bunch of stuff he has to go do, doesn't tell him he has to go change his life and alter everything he's done. All he does is he puts Christ in front of him and simply invites him. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it's not just for him, it's for his household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of God in that little invitation 
The Holy Spirit works through that powerful word efficaciously to create faith in this man's heart. And it changes everything. It changes his whole perspective. He drops the knife. He, he takes them and takes them out. He's going to bring them to his house. He comes rushing in the house and has to tell everybody about this. Immediately, the faith that God has worked in his heart starts to color in his mind how he should respond with them to his family. And suddenly he realizes what they possess in this message that I now believe in is so tremendous. I got to make sure that my wife and kids hear it. And he brings them right away, immediately, we're told, into the house. And another word, immediately has them baptized. I always wonder which, which one of the kids got to go first. Which one of the children? We hear a number of times in the Bible of households that were baptized. I bet when that happened in people's households, I bet they, they started with the little kids. I bet they started with the, with the youngest ones. Just like, on, just like on the day of Pentecost, when Peter called out to the crowd and he said, repent and be baptized every one of you, that includes the kids and the children and the infants, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the forgiveness of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit the promises to you and your children. I bet when the parents came up, they put their kids in front of the line for themselves. That's a natural instinct from people. If you've ever flown on an airplane, right before you take off, the attendants often make an announcement that basically says something like this. Place the oxygen mask on yourself first and then assist your child. Why do they have to say that? Because there's naturally an urge inside of us when, when we're parents to take care of our kids first, to put them first. Even atheists want to do that. It's a natural human urge. It's an instinct that God has just built inside of humanity all around the world. And so that's why the flight attendants have to tell people not to think that way, to try to get it out of their system because they have to be healthy first to be able to take care of their children. But this, this very same instinct inside of each one of us, God the Holy Spirit now grabs it in this man's heart and he uses that instinct to cause him to, to run with the apostle back to his house and to make sure that they get to hear the same fantastic message, the free gospel, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive the Trinitarian baptism. What a, what a unique uh, uh, situation that we have in this beautiful story. The reaction in us that we have to take care of our kids as parents, and I hope and pray many of you college students may get that wonderful opportunity someday, that reaction in us to take care of our kids first is rooted in this natural law. Like I said, it's even alive inside of atheists to do that. And yet, God the Holy Spirit also comes along and co-ops that same instinct and urge in us. And he kind of grabs a hold of that same instinct and now uses it for the benefit of spreading the gospel and for the advancement of God's kingdom. And so he takes that, that normal urge and now applies it in even a much greater and grander way with heaven's importance behind it. 
Our children are the most precious gifts that we have. I remember an old pastor once told me when I was starting out in the ministry, he said this, you win the hearts of your adults through their children. You win the hearts of the adults through their children. And what he meant by that is most parents would rather make sure that they have a place where their child is being fed spiritually and cares about hearing the word of God, that almost becomes more important than whether they like the pastor or not. (laughs) In other words, uh, their child's spiritual life is of a higher importance than their own. I remember years ago, I was uh, teaching an adult instruction class up at a church in Minneapolis, and there was a young couple that had just started coming And uh, they really had not grown up learning the gospel and how important Christ was and things in their lives. And the second class, we really clearly went through the doctrine of justification. How God, through the work of Christ, has declared us innocent. And simply by having faith in him, just like we see in this story, they have the promise of going to heaven. And after the class, we hadn't even come close to talking about anything about evangelism. But after the class, this young man came up to me and he said, this is so fantastic. I want you to teach me how I can go tell my brother about this. It was interesting, even before I even, or any, he never heard the Great Commission yet. And yet the gospel itself in his heart produced the fruit, the natural fruit of uh, wanting to make sure that other people heard about it. When, when you and I, like dead branches, have been grafted into the living vine of Christ and given faith in him, the gospel that not only makes us alive also produces one of the first fruits that grows on that branch is the grape of evangelism, the grape of wanting to make sure others know about it. And to be honest with you, sometimes you'll see this in adults in church work, the people who have come to faith in their adulthood and are suddenly excited about it. Man, sometimes they're the the most on fire to want to go make sure, tell others about the same wonderful truth that they have learned. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, St. Paul says. And it, it means not just for the person it touches, but it goes through that person to other people as well. And usually, the people closest to that person, the one with whom he or she has the tightest rapport is usually the place where it comes out the best. Years ago, there was a lady in a congregation I was serving who had married an atheist against her parents' wishes. She was a devout Christian, but had married an atheist. And yet, he had agreed that he would go to church with her on a regular basis and allow her to raise the children as Christians, and he wouldn't get in the way of that. That was their agreement, apparently, she told me later. And for years, he would sit with her in church, and, uh, but never came up to commune and, and never joined the church. But uh, one night at the dinner table, while they were praying the Come Lord Jesus prayer, she could suddenly, with her eyes closed, hear her husband's voice, in the background as the prayer was going around the table. And she came uh, to me the next day and she said, I had the most wonderful thing happen last night. And she explained this story. And she said after dinner, she went and pulled her husband aside 
and said, why did you suddenly join in our dinner prayer? And he said, I think I've become a Christian now. I think I've become a Christian. And sure enough, later that day, her husband called me to wanted to take adult instruction classes to, to join the church. Ended up becoming a wonderful, wonderful member of the church. You know, St. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, um, there were a lot of people who were new converts to the faith as adults, and many of them were still married now, sometimes to an unbeliever, somebody maybe who was either an atheist or a pagan. And Paul doesn't tell them to get a divorce. And here's why. He says, an unbelieving husband has been sanctified by his wife. Now, that doesn't mean that he will get to heaven because his wife's a Christian. But what that means is that the home and the relationship of him being in proximity to a believer on a day-to-day basis has now been sanctified by her precious faith and her very confession and witness to the wonderful gospel that God has now given to her. And may, may God stir up in your hearts not only a love for the same Savior that saved this jailer, but also through you, love for the others that, where your life will touch them, your children, your spouse, and maybe others in your extended family, so that more and more can sit at the Feast of Salvation with the entire family of God. Amen.